0: All right, well, lovely to have you guys with us, having a bit of fun this morning, and just really um, the opportunity now to look into Growing Young. But first, before we get to the point of really going into to detail with what we're looking at today um, of Growing Young, I just want to bring you guys up to speed on what's been going on, what we've been looking at, what Growing Young even is. So we want to have a bit of a chat around that, just so you have some idea, but um This is their logo, which is uh, an interesting logo to say the least. It's going to pop up on the screen, but um, a shoe with a tree coming out of it. Gotta love it, right? So (laughs) you can tell it is aimed at young people straight away. But I think at the same time, one of the things that has been absolutely lovely about them was Growing Young basically came out of Fuller Seminary and Youth Institute in the States. So there's a a seminary and youth institute over there that have done a lot of research, and they were looking worldwide, and especially in the Western world, so and predominantly in the States, at churches that were growing. As they started to notice that the national trend was moving towards churches that were shrinking or churches that were starting to die or getting smaller in number, what they thought would be a really good idea to do, instead of starting to talk about, well, what would change that or what would do this and and do a lot of the things that research would normally do. They decided they wanted to look into the churches that were growing. No matter what denomination they were, no matter what worship styles they had, no matter how contemporary or traditional they were, they didn't take any of that stuff into account. They just looked at churches who were growing and then basically got in touch and said, can we interview your leaders? So people who are actively involved in leadership in that church and people who are significant roles of volunteering, you know, who are really doing things within that congregation and just interview them about why they think the church is growing. And then after conducting thousands of interviews, they put together really and collated the information and tried to get to a point where they could discover what the common threads were. So to start to look at it and say, irrespective, because a lot of the time people will talk and say, well, if you have a certain worship style or if you have a certain preaching style or if you have a certain whatever, a nice light show, and they were kind of saying, actually, they've noticed that that wouldn't be something that holds that much significance. You can find churches who are at the more traditional end in terms of how they do things that are growing, and churches who are at the more contemporary end who aren't. And actually, the key themes that ran across both churches were what they were really interested in if they were growing. So they've done a lot of studying. They've done a lot of research. And when you start to look across the world at continents where the church is maybe struggling, Europe and North America are becoming two of them in comparison to many others. And looking at this trend of as we see the church starting to to die in a sense, what are things we could do to buck that trend and to try and get out of it? So having noticed that, a couple of ministers from within the Church of Scotland had went over there, done some research, looked into the program, met the guys who were running it, and then decided that they wanted to launch a pilot project in Midlothian Presbytery where churches could sign up. So there's lots of Church of Scotland churches in Midlothian who have chosen to put teams together and engage with the teaching over the last year. So we've had numerous conferences where we've been taught about these core commitments and core values, and they've asked us lots of questions. We've been able to really look at and reflect on the church here uh, and just think about it and, and look at it from all the different viewpoints that they would bring. And what they discovered when they started to look at all of these churches, collect the information, and really look at what the common themes were, they came up with six core commitments. Those six core commitments um, are, are here, and at the core of it all is taking Jesus' message seriously. So churches that didn't just talk about the message of Jesus, but actually lived it out. Um, Keychain leadership, and that's actually what we're going to be looking at today. So if that phrase means nothing to you, that's okay. We're going to expand on it. Uh, Empathizing with young people today, realizing that actually the problems facing them are different to the problems that faced our generations, and and being willing to listen and engage with them at the level that they're at. Being the best neighbors in our communities. So actually going out actively engaging, trying to look after people the way that Jesus calls us to. Prioritizing young people everywhere. And although that kind of sounds like, in a sense, you're moving your focus off of your adult church just to your young people. That's not what they mean. It's much more an idea of how do we include young people in areas of the church. So if we're making decisions about the future of our church or young people, do they have a say in that or are they listened to? It doesn't mean we have to do what they say, but actually do they feel that their opinion is valued in all areas of the church or are they sectioned just our youth capacity? And then feeling warm relationships in the church, having the church as a place where if you come to spend time, you're going to feel loved, that actually it's a place where you come to meet with people who love you and who you love. And they were the six core commitments that they found that any of the churches that they interviewed who were growing young and who were growing in that direction as a church and had growing congregations, they were the six themes and the six core values that they found these places had in common. So actually, when you start to look at that, it's really fascinating because none of it is really about practical outflow. It's all about values that are set in the way that we treat and love and respect each other, and in the way we treat and love and respect the message of Jesus. And actually, as we do that, we get to move into this place of growth. And that's what their research would really strongly suggest. So today, we're actually going to look at the first core commitment. We're going to look at keychain leadership. And don't worry, we'll expand a little bit on what that is, and we can have a chat around it. Um, And I think, first of all, um, it's the way that they phrase it is like this. They phrase it as unlocking keychain leadership. And what is keychain leadership? Well, it's, it's two things, and although these phrases will seem strange, I will explain. It's the spirit and commitment demonstrated by leaders that permeates the church. So, and what is that spirit and commitment? It's really of passing the keys that we hold onto other people. It's passing the abilities that we have, the keys that we hold in terms of our leadership, power, influence, whatever, onto other people so that they can move into those places too. And actually, you can see there the keys. What are the keys when you talk about keychain leadership? And it is literally keychain as in a key ring, okay? You know, we call it a slightly different thing. They are American. But the key ring, keys are the capabilities, the power and the experience and access of leaders who have the potential to empower young people. So actually, if you're someone who has the potential to empower or to mentor a young person, then really, you're holding the key in this church at the moment. If you have capabilities, power, experience and actually the potential to empower young people into a role in the church, then you are one of these people that carries the key. See, for me, I would argue that all of us are. I think that they they use language of leadership, and I think that's right, because if it comes from the leaders it will permeate the church, absolutely. But at the same time, for me, it's something that everybody's a part of. I think it's this idea that, you know, if you have something in your faith journey that would be a benefit to somebody who's at the start of theirs, then you have something to offer. And actually, when we talk about growing young in this sense, we're not just meaning in terms of age. I think when we're talking about growing young here, it's people who are young in their faith. If you're 35, 45, and you've just come to faith, having somebody who's been a Christian a long time take you under their wing and offer you advice and guidance and listen to your concerns and talk you through their experience, it's only going to benefit you. It's only going to benefit you. And it's this idea of how are you passing on the keys that you're holding? How are you passing on the experience you've had, the gifts that God's given you, the potential you have to empower other people in their faith? How are you passing that on to other people? Really, it's discipleship at its core. And do you know, I guess the question that I would want to ask, and this is not, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek but at the same time, it's not meant to be bad, is, is why are you here? Why are you here? I think it's the question that comes back for me time and time again. When did you start to volunteer or lead at something for the first time? Why are you here? Why do you come to church? Why are you attending here on a Sunday morning when we're not in lockdown? Why are you attending online now? And the thing for me is that for every single person in this congregation, every single Christian I know, there's a story attached to that. And almost All the stories I know directly involve people. I'm here because actually, do you know somebody when I was younger invited me to come to a Christian camp. And then on that Christian camp, somebody told me about Jesus. And actually, the way the leaders treated me and loved me was really odd compared to what I'd experienced in other places. So I listened in a way that I wouldn't normally listen. And then after that they didn't just leave me alone when i came to the point of coming to faith they actually took me under their wing that adrian and andy they loved me really really well looking back they cared for me a lot they discipled me they listened to my concerns when i thought i was a really poor choice they put me in positions of volunteering and actually they took chances on me they saw something in me that i didn't see and actually in believing in me and calling that out And not just passing the keys and going, right, off you go, Ross, because that would not have gone well for me or them, (laughs) but actually being with me to talk me through. You know, hey, if you're leading this morning, maybe do this or do this. Can I help you write it together? Is there any questions you have? Can we meet together in advance? After I'd done it, hey, can we meet together and chat about how that went? When life's hard, actually, how are you doing? Taking the time to ask those questions, passing on the advice and guidance they had from being Christians for 20, 30 years. When I've been Christian 20, 30 days. You know, that changed my life because they had keys, absolutely, but they chose to not only share them, but then pass them on in areas where I could grow. And it allowed me to grow. And for every single one of you guys that are watching this morning or part of this church, you'll know that you're here because there are people who've taken chances on you. There are people who believed in you, who loved you, who took the time to tell you about Jesus, who took the time to encourage you to be part of the church, who took the time to meet with you, listen to your concerns, to just be with you, to spend time to love you. That's how it works. And actually, as we have those capabilities and we pass them on, that's how we find we grow. That's how we find we grow. And I was kind of thinking about this and thinking, actually... Do you know, there's one Bible story in particular, I I ran over a few, and it's one that I have used once before, but I'm a massive fan of it. And um, I think for me, it's one of the best examples. And I just want to read this with you and then chat about it on the other side. But the question that I want to ask you as we're reading through it is this. Can you see an example of keychain leadership in the way that Jesus behaves? And the way that Jesus chooses to lead in this circumstance? Can you see an example of keychain leadership? We're just going to read it now. I'm not going to tell you the story in advance. You'll recognize it very quickly, I promise. But it'll come up on your screen now, and we'll have a wee read-through. It's from Mark 6, but it says this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered one of the best answers ever. You give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Got to think an underwhelming response at best. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to all the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So it doesn't include wives, doesn't include children. You think of the amount of people who were there. There was a lot of people involved in that meeting. It's fascinating though, because when you start to talk about examples of keychain leadership in that, well, I have no doubt personally that Jesus could have done that himself. If Jesus wanted to do that miracle and have all of the bread and all of the fish go out to every single group and for everybody to be fed and not involve the disciples at all, I don't think he would have struggled. The funny thing for me in that story and my favorite thing in that story is I was trying to put myself in the position of one of the disciples. don't know if you guys do that, but I always think, what would my response be, (laughs) you know? I would love to think that my response would be the good one. Um, I often think that my response might be somewhere in between. But I think just being one of the disciples in that moment and looking around and seeing I don't know how many thousands of people, probably over ten, and seeing that many people on the grass around you that have just sat down in groups of fifties and hundreds, and then see Jesus break five loaves, two fish, divide them into like twelve baskets so you got one each, and then just go, okay, go and share them out. I think I'd be standing with my basket going, are you even serious? (laughs) You'd (laughs) be at that stage personally going, you can't actually be asking me to go over there with my little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. And yeah. But as the disciples take that step, it's the fascinating thing about that story for me. There is no way that those baskets could contain enough visibly for them to think that this had worked. But as they go out and take that step and pass it round, They have this amazing moment of thinking, but this bread isn't stopping. This fish isn't stopping. And then seeing all the leftovers at the end. And I just think from that perspective, I don't think Jesus needed the disciples to do that miracle, but the wonderful thing about it is this, that by including and involving them the way he did, what did that do to their faith? What did that do to their faith? I think the day before that miracle, if Jesus had gone to me, Ross, flap your wings and see if you can fly, I think I'd have been like, I pulled the other one. I think if I'd just gone through that day and Jesus is like, Ross, flap your wings and see if you can fly, I'd try, you know? Because you've just seen something absolutely incredible and been part of it. And actually, keychain leadership, it's share the experience. Involve people in what you're doing. Get them to be part of it. It will build their faith, their experience, their leadership, their want to see more. Sometimes the biggest temptation in leadership is to go, it'll just be easier if I just do it. You know, I think we can all be guilty of that. I look at having kids in my house now, and I love my daughters to bits. Eden and Ariel are just wonderful, and we've got our other one on the way very soon. But at the same time, see when they're like, Dad, can we help cook tonight? And there's that bit internally where your heart sinks ever so slightly. (laughs) Because you're kind of like, you can help cook but it's going to make cooking take a lot longer, and it might not go as well as we hoped. (laughs) And I think internally, we know that that is the case, but at the same time, there's that goal of, but if I want these guys to be able to cook, that's the way they're going to learn. And I think that realization in leadership of if we want to grow leaders around us, if we want to grow people who can lead, who want to be active disciples in faith, who want to take on responsibility, actually, We're going to have to have space for them and have time for them to be part of what we're leading. And that might mean we need to slow down. That might mean it takes longer. That might mean it doesn't even go as well. But actually, it could mean something else entirely. It could mean it goes better. It could mean we get ideas that we would never have thought of. It could be we get different perspectives and creativity. But by involving more people, we give the opportunity for people to grow. Do you know, why do keychain leadership? It's always the question for me, right? I'm, I'm terrible when we go to, to training programs, and I'm not, I'm not cynical in any way at training programs, but I think the thing for me is I always have, and it's just the way I'm wired, this underpinning question of, yeah, but why would I do that? And I think for me the question then becomes, did Jesus do it? And actually I think, why do keychain leadership? Because Jesus did it is a big one for me. Actually, he identified who his replacements were going to be. If you think about it, he knew that the disciples were going to be taken on from him. They were going to be taking on the work that he'd been doing. He knew that he was not going to be around forever in person, that he was going to be crucified, he was going to resurrect, he was going to ascend, and actually there needed to be people ready to take on that mission, to start the church, to be the leaders. There needed to be people ready to step up. He identified his replacements. He started to mentor and train them, and he passed the keys on to them. I think he let them lead with his assistance, by his power, by his grace, but he let them lead. I have no doubt in my life, in all the areas that I'm involved in leadership in, Jesus could do it better than me, but actually, he passes the keys to me. But he's there for advice, for assistance. He's there for me to go to when it goes wrong. He's there to celebrate when it goes right. He's there with me throughout the process, but actually, He empowers me to do it. It's this wonderful way of leadership that Jesus calls us to. And for you, for you as you look at this, and if you're thinking at all, you know, Ross, this just sounds like it's for leaders or this just sounds like it's for young people or whatever. It isn't, I promise you. There's a reason that Grown Young's advice is something that permeates the entire church. Because actually, I want you to think about this question this morning. I want you to think about this question. Who should I pass my keys on to? Because the thing is you have them. I know we're Scottish and we love false humility and we love pretending that we don't have anything good to pass on to other people, but it's not true. You have years and years potentially of following Jesus, of knowing what it's like to follow him through good times, through bad times, through sunshine and rain. You know what it's like to keep going. You know what it's like to live through a church that has changed around you, through a culture and society that's changed around you. You know what it's like to be involved in family life. You know what it's like in so many ways to be a Christian in areas of life that so many of our young people and young leaders will never have experienced. And actually passing that stuff on is massive. It is of massive importance, don't downplay it. When you look at who Jesus took on as his disciples, they were predominantly teenagers. (laughs) Why? Because when we're teenagers, I think we have the time. (laughs) But you know, our brain is also developing, it's growing, and all of that stuff. Your brain is still forming fully up until the age of 25. And actually, there's a lot that can be molded and shaped. And when society and the world is pointing in so many different avenues and so many different pressures to have a solid Christian person who loves them in their life talking about their experiences of going through similar things, that is of a value that you can't place. I promise you that is of a value that you can't place. You know, I think when you're praying, find someone. Find someone with integrity in their faith. You know, you don't just want to pick anybody. You want to exercise wisdom when you're thinking about this. I can think of young people that actually I could have tried to invest 100 hours a week into, and it wouldn't have led anywhere, not because they weren't worth investing in. They absolutely were, but they just weren't at a point where their faith was really central to who they were. So trying to disciple someone whose faith is not high on their agenda is going to be a struggle. They're not going to want to engage. Find someone who wants to grow as a disciple. Exercise wisdom. Find someone who you have a natural connection with. It's not meant to be forced. Find someone that you genuinely like. (laughs) And the other side for me is, don't worry. It'll be uncomfortable to start with. It will be uncomfortable to start with. But be the first to be vulnerable. I think as adults, one of the things that we can offer as we get involved in those places is we can be like, hey, do you know what? I see something in you that I just love about your faith, love about who you are as a person. And I don't know if you'd be up for it, but is there any chance that I could just mentor you or look after you a wee bit? Or if you've got any questions, feel free to come to me. You know, I'm involved in these kind of areas of service. Is there any ways that I could help you? And just these kind of questions, it's the starting of a relationship. The funny thing is for me, we so often put so much pressure around the language of discipleship and mentor and all this kind of stuff because we think that we have to be something that we're not, that we need qualifications or that we need to be perfect or that we need to have everything sorted. That's not the point. It's actually about loving in an imperfect relationship where both people struggle, but having vulnerability and honesty. That's really what mentoring is and what discipleship is. It grows in those places. It grows in those places. I guess the thing is, what can you do as a person in this? Well, identify the keys that you hold. What's the life experience you've had? What are the gifts that God's given you? What areas do you serve in naturally? Where have you seen God really come through for you in your life? What could you pass on? Identify who you can mentor and be wise. Love and share life together. Give responsibility over while still looking out and be there through the successes and the failures, because failures will happen, <laughs> they will absolutely happen, but continue to be there, continue to be there. See, it's funny, there's this, um, this phrase that I came across that I absolutely love when I was researching this. I-, I love this phrase, so I'm gonna just pass it on as it is. The difference between student leadership and student labor is relationship. Let me say it again, the difference between student leadership and student labor relationship. Well, what does that mean? I think sometimes as a church we can be really guilty, and not necessarily us, I just think the church in general, can be really guilty of putting young people into roles that are just more manual laborish because other people don't want to do them and they're looking for a reason to serve. So actually we just put people into roles that need filled because they need filled and somebody needs to do it. And actually, it's good that those roles get done, and it's not a bad thing to learn to serve even in those areas. So, I'm not talking it down, but I think if that's the only roles that you're ever called to serve in, that says something about what the church thinks of you or what the leadership think of you. And that's not a nice place to be. And I think to start there is no bad thing. To stay there is not nice. And I can think of people in my faith walk and in my Christian life who have been in positions where they have had little roles, those kind of things. And after a long time of maybe looking to see where they can serve, they found that the answer didn't come. And then they just moved to a different church. And I think for us, if we want to grow, being able to use the gifts of the people that we have and being able to put them in places is really, really important. But the other aspect for me of student leadership and labor, the difference is relationship, just a wee story to attach that. This is daft, but it's true. I look back to when I was younger at St. Mungo's. And my youth pastor was a guy called Andy Bennett, and my cell group leader was a guy called Adrian Devlin. And I remember thinking Adrian was just the bee's knees when I was younger. I absolutely loved him. He was one of the few Christians I knew who was really into football. I didn't know that Christians liked football when I was younger. That got me very excited. And actually, he seemed like a normal guy. I think a lot of Christians I maybe come in contact with seemed a little bit strange. And he just seemed like a really genuine, lovely guy who loved Jesus and had similar hobbies to me. And because of that, I just thought he was the best. And it was funny because I remember one day him just chatting to me after church and being like, hey, Ross, if you want to, you can come back to my house today. I'm just going to be washing the car this afternoon, but you're welcome to come and help. And you know, for me, if I didn't have the relationship with Adrian that I had, Ross, could you come to my house and help wash my car Is student labor, right? <laughs> that's, that's what that is, try to come and help me. But do you know the thing? See, being invited to his home, And he had a cool car at the time, anyway. He had a BMW Z3 that was red, and I loved it. (laughs) I think being invited to come back to his house and wash his car for me felt like the best afternoon ever. I can still remember it now. I felt so honored to be asked. I said yes straight away. I had a season ticket for Hearts at the time. I didn't go to the game that afternoon. I went to Adrian's house and washed his car instead. And actually, that was a choice on my part because there was a relationship there and a discipleship relationship of admiration for me. I loved him. So when he invited me to do that, going around to his house was the best. It's funny, a lot of the time, those invitations are really funny places to be, but it's in shared life that we often find you're actually passing the keys away. That's when I go around to Adrian's house that day, inevitably, as we're washing the car, we end up talking about Jesus for half an hour or more. I end up talking about what's good in life at the moment, what's hard. We end up sharing life together, sharing lunch together, sharing time together. And by the end of that day, I felt closer to Jesus than I did at the start. And he's talking about different ways that I could serve. Do you know, that's it in action. That's the model. And it takes a massive, massive influence. But there is a great paradox involved in this. There is absolutely a great paradox. What is a paradox? It is just something that is two opposites next to each other. The one thing I would say is if you're working with young people in any way, shape, or form, don't think you have to speak young people language, and don't think you have to engage with them on their level. That is incredibly awkward. I love that I am looking over and seeing Zach laugh at the moment, because there is nothing worse than when you get adults coming up to you and trying to talk to you as if they're the same age as you when you're younger. It just feels awkward. Treat them like an adult volunteer. Treat them like an adult friend. Someone serving on team with you. Don't treat them any different. Because actually the parameters that that involves, well, we're going to have to face them one day. And actually it helps us to grow and mature now. But the other side of it, I think, is when you're younger, life is hard. You're still shaping who you are. You have a ton of different pressures on your plate. You have home pressures where maybe actually your parents aren't keen on you being a Christian or going to church at all, which would be the case for a lot of our young people. You have school pressures, academic pressures, exam pressures, relational pressures, online pressures at the moment, all the social media pressure that comes in, pressure about you being a faith, a person of faith, pressure about what you're deciding to do with your future, about do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? What's your opinion on this? There are so many pressures that are coming in to our young people's lives all the time in modern-day culture. And actually, when you're trying to make that balance when you're younger, you're going to make mistakes. We did. They are. (laughs) Actually, you're going to make bad calls. You're going to do things that aren't great. So remember that although we're treating them like adults to move them into positions of leadership so they can grow, they're not projects that need perfection. They're people who are growing and developing and who we love. So remember, they're not adults yet. Forgive quickly. Reflect with them about what happened, why those decisions happened, and encourage them for next time. You know, that's part of the deal for me. If the first mistake I made as a Christian leader when I was a young person, the first mistake I made at the very first thing I led, if someone came down on me like a ton of bricks at that point, I would not have led again. Actually having people sit with me and being like, Ross, what happened? You're able to kind of sit and be like, I don't know. But talk about it for half an hour and be like, oh, yeah, I probably should have prepared, right? (laughs) And you end up at that sort of place. But at the same time, having people who are willing to walk that journey with you is so important. It is so important. But remember, we're the church. We're the church together. And one of the things that I've loved about Growing Young, and I absolutely love about them up to this point, is that they are not saying, let's create a youth church and let's put all our energy into that. That's not their message. Their message is actually, we're the church together. We need the wisdom. We need the experience. We need the gifting. We need the guidance of the old in our congregations. We need that, but actually we need the enthusiasm and the creativity of the young. At church today and throughout lockdown, we've had massive support from our youth. You know, we've had Zach, Simeon, Joel, TJ, Kez has been here regularly as well. Liam Somerville in tech has been an absolute wizard, but Nathan Lane has been helping him a lot throughout that time too. And do you know, it's, it's amazing, but so many people in our younger generation, our younger leadership, they're engaged in this world. They know how a lot of this stuff works their creativity and their willingness to step up has meant that there's been a lot of support for people like Liam, for Mark, for me, for Joel as well throughout this time that's allowed us to continue to do this. Because actually, they have the availability, they have the time, they understand this world, they know how to creatively engage in online spaces in ways we don't. That there is all that wonderful stuff that they bring. Different perspectives, having grown up in a world now in a sense that's very alien to the world that a lot of us grew up in. And actually, there is so much that can be offered in terms of relational wisdom, longevity of faith, the experience of the old. You know, there's nothing better when you're younger than having an older person who puts their arm around you and looks after you. There is nothing better than that, who puts that value on you, everybody's granddad. I always think of William Irvin in that light in this church. He was just someone who you turned up on a sunday and if william was there and gave you a smile you just felt better about life and i know for so many of our young people that would stand as well that those people are of incredible importance because they're willing to invest and engage to be themselves but to love you and we're the church together and you see it in the church nationally We're churches who have been amazing in terms of engagement for a while with younger people and have had a congregation that maybe the average age is 30 but now we're 20 years down the line and they've not been intentionally discipling the young people in their community they've not been intentionally pushing their youth into roles of leadership in their church and they've not been intentionally training them and loving them and mentoring them and working on this keychain leadership stuff and passing the keys on and we're now 20 years down the line and their congregation is no longer average age of 30 it's average age of 50. Because that's naturally what happens over time. That's why we're kind of talking through this Growing Young stuff of, as we continue to engage in this fashion and make it a priority, it allows us to continue to grow. And that's the premise. That's why keychain leadership is so important. And guys, I think for me, we have a team for Growing Young, but it's not an exclusive team by any stretch of the imagination. If you're watching this morning, hearing this, and you're interested in joining, please get in touch. I'm more than happy to let you know about when the dates are we meet together. And one of the things we've got coming up is a listening project in the church where we are going to send a wee questionnaire out there and ask you guys, you know, the congregation's opinion on a lot of different points and see what areas it is as a church that we need we need to work on in this. I think we do a lot of this stuff well, but we don't do it perfect. And actually, different perspectives, different ideas that are important because we are the church together. And actually, in the same way that Jesus and His leadership included others around, was pushing other people on, was encouraging them to grow, loving them through their struggles, didn't reject them when they made mistakes, but kept believing the best, kept bringing the best out, kept passing keys away so that they could become the leader that He could see them becoming. It's our job as the church so that we become the most effective means for reaching our community here and representing the God we love and serve. So that's Keychain Leadership. It's our core commitment one. As I say, we'll be back over the coming months to run through the others. But thank you for joining us this morning. And we hope that, that some of said, let me pray. And then we're going to go into worship to finish. But let's pray.